love thy neighborhood. Okay. Oh, cool. Oh, definitely. <laughs> awesome. Discipleship and missions. Mission. For, For modern, modern times. As I've been just doing a lot of internal work over the years, I realized how much shame got linked with fear. There was so much shame at being fearful. And so they're so intertwined and sixes think everything is their fault. <laughs> I think I've just had a lot more compassion for myself, not only seeing myself as afraid, but really ashamed that I was afraid. And um, it's been really freeing to kind of give myself a lot of compassion around what that must have been like as a kid and how lonely that must have felt. This is a show about self-discovery. About understanding ourselves. About looking into the mirror to see the good, the bad, and the unknown of who we are. This is about how we relate to God. And everyone else. From Love That Neighborhood in Louisville, Kentucky. Welcome. 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 To the Cast. Hey, welcome to the Enneacast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Lindsay Lewis. Every episode, we walk you through the Enneagram and we help you build better relationships. And today, we are continuing our series on the nine desires. If you haven't already, go back, take a listen to episode 85 with Dr. Kurt Thompson to hear some of the foundation that we have built around exploring our desire. We are starting every episode with two foundational ideas that God created humans to desire. It is in our DNA. It's how we're made. And number two, our desires are drawn toward what we find beautiful. Okay, so we've been doing this whole series on desire. Today, we're going to talk specifically about the desire to be secure, the desire to be in a context that is stable, to be in a context where you feel that People are trustworthy, where you can rely on things, where the unpredictable is not just looming around the corner to Mm -hmm. destroy you. Mm -hmm. That's just desire. I want to be secure. This is a desire that we all have, but we do find it especially pronounced in folks that are in the head triad. So the desire to be secure, or when I was kind of trying to look up other words, you know, synonyms, one that I really liked was the word sheltered. Mm. You know, this idea that kind of like you have this covering not sheltered like a like weird no home, not like not you're like a weird homeschooled person. kids yeah, no. like, not like that no as in like you're sheltered from whatever the storms of life are mm-hmm. you know that no yeah. matter where you go you've got this shelter mm-hmm. um, that's really closely tied to the desire to understand where am I and am I prepared to take care of myself and those I care about in the place that I find myself mm-hmm. so if you are searching for a place to feel safe and secure and find security to be one of your driving desires, you may be a type six or a member of the head triad. Yeah, because again, all the folks in the head triad, they're looking for more security. They're looking Mm -hmm. for more resources. I want to make sure that I have all the things that I have that I need in order to be able to navigate this life. So when it comes to the desire to be secure, we have three paths that we are going to take a look at. Uh, What happens when it's exaggerated? What happens when it's diminished? And what happens when it's healthy? So first, let's talk about what the desire to be secure looks like when it's supercharged, when it's exaggerated, Mm -hmm. when it is gone overboard, 
it is now driving the car. <laughs> Everything is under its control. What, what's going on here? When our desires are exaggerated, they become distorted. So we take this good desire to be secure and we settle for being safe. You know, as long as I feel like I've taken the necessary precautions and I'm hypervigilant, scanning the horizon, that that feels almost like being secure. And then we'll be driven by self-doubt and worst case scenario thinking, which will result in an uptight, suspicious and fearful stance towards life. This desire for safety and the resulting fear will cost us the freedom to relax and trust in God and trust ourselves. Yeah, there's usually not a whole lot of room for both worry and trust yeah. to both live at the yeah. same time. Mm-hmm. You know, if we're really, really worried, we're going to be very prone to be like, well, can't really trust God, can't really trust other people, can't really trust myself. But we take a look at Matthew 6 and we see Jesus inviting us into a different approach. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And many people who are, you know, they worry a lot. They're like, yes, yes, I can. (laughs) Yes, Jesus, because I'm worried about all these different things. I predict that they're coming and I avoid dangers because I'm, you know, spending a lot of my energy making sure that I don't get caught in scenarios that I can't face uh, without all of these things that I need. So when talking about an exaggerated desire, we need to consider the role of grief and trauma in our story. All of us have lived a story, and if I sat down with each of you as listeners and you told me your story, your behavior would make total sense to me in light of the story that you've lived and how you understand and interpret that story. Those of us who long for security, we long to be secure, we may have experienced themes of danger and unpredictability and receive the message that it is not okay to depend on or trust yourself. And in fact, it may not even be okay to trust other people either. Mm -hmm. So in other words, there's nobody to trust. You can't trust yourself. You can't trust other people. And yet we have this unpredictable thing that's looming around the corner all the time. And the deal is this, the greater the fear, the more tempted you will be to exaggerate your pursuit of safety. Mm -hmm. The more that you feel that your security is threatened or that you don't have it, the more that you are going to want to overcompensate for that. Right. So if you find yourself living with a regular fear that you will be unsafe, deceived, unprotected, or that you're unreliable, here are some questions to ask. What happened in my youth where I felt unsafe or unable to trust and depend on myself or others? And what small step can I take today to acknowledge this wound and begin to do the work of letting this wound heal. Because what goes unhealed eventually goes septic. If we refuse to acknowledge it, we refuse to let God heal it. And I just want to say, we are all to some degree experiencing these things in our life right now. Like the world that we live in does feel unpredictable and there are people who are unsafe and deceitful. And so for us to turn to God to heal and to be that grounding place for us is really the only place we can go because in a way we're right. The world is a scary, volatile place. Mm -hmm. So there's no shame 
You know, mm-hmm. there's no shame needed if you find yourself in this place. Mm-hmm. But we're just saying the way to bring healing is to turn to God. Yeah. And it's also, it's not a place to live. Yeah. You know, if we live in a place where we just have this, an exaggerated need for security, mm-hmm. it puts us in a place where we, we can't ever rest. We can't yeah. ever relax. We can't ever just enjoy. We can't trust mm-hmm. other people. We can't trust ourselves. The The price tag that is attached to having an exaggerated need mm-hmm. for security is too high right. to to pay it day in and day out, week after week, month after month, over the course of your life. If you find yourself in a place where for a day or two, I'm feeling that, for a season, I'm feeling that, that makes sense. But if you find that you are stuck in that place, do exactly what Lindsay has suggested. It's time to go backwards in your story mm-hmm. and to begin to consider what has happened and where did this come from and how can God bring healing to that? Yeah. So second, let's talk about what the desire to be secure, to have security, what that looks like when it is diminished. So these are folks that are like, mm-hmm. I don't yeah. even care. Like, <laughs> I, don't, I have no sense of, you know, that something is dangerous or, you know, that there's a threat around the corner. Like they are just, woo, just living mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. What's, what's going on here? Well, the rule that we've been keeping in mind is when any desire becomes exaggerated, it demands all the other desires serve it or be slain by it. So you can either help me achieve my goals or you can be completely forgotten or diminished. Yeah. So I even think about like um, just folks that just don't, they don't have a lot of that sort of loyalty about them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like mm-hmm. they just jump from one thing to the next thing. So if you do not have a desire for security to have the ability to to walk freely in the world, trusting yourself and those close to you and God to have a secure reliance on something bigger than yourself. Here's some questions that you can ask yourself. Do you worry that the desire for security will somehow restrain your freedom? Do you worry that it's going to make you feel guilty? Do you worry that it's going to make you feel inauthentic? Do you worry that it's going to call call you into some kind of action that you don't particularly want to do? Mm-hmm. And a lot of, too, it should be said, like, this desire for security often does have sort of a communal component to it. Mm-hmm. And so you may be like, well, I have a desire for personal security, yeah. but I don't care about anybody else's security. Right. That is also a version of a diminished expression of this desire because when we think of security, I can only be secure if we all have it, if we yeah. all sort of are living within a certain space of security. So if you don't care about security for yourself or for other people, you have, don't care about needing shelter from the storms for yourself. You don't care about it for other people. Ask yourself, what competing desire do you have that feels threatened by this one? Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, a lot of times, it is because you don't believe uh, that this one is very valuable. Right. There's there's some sense in which you believe these other desires, these these things are a lot a lot more powerful and a lot more significant and more helpful to my life. Right. Okay, well, that's the bad news. So let's talk about what this desire to be secure looks like when it's healthy. So Jesus tells us that our chief desire, the desire to lead all the others, should be to love God and love other people as we love ourselves. We talk a lot on the podcast about this notion of the true self and the false self. Mm -hmm. And the false self is who we are apart from Christ. The true self is who we are when we're living in Christ, hidden in Christ with God. So in the true self, When this desire for security is being cultivated in a healthy way, it's being entrusted to God, that is where you're going to be able to show up as somebody who is dependable 
as somebody who is honorable, you're going to show up even when you don't feel safe. Mm -hmm. So even if you feel scared, you're still going to show up. You're still going to do the work. You're still going to be faithful. When we begin to truly believe that we are secure in God's care, we can practice courage. Avoiding cowardice, we avoid attack. So whether you're phobic, counterphobic, mm-hmm. um, and instead we can choose to trust God's presence in and around us. We can recall from the life that we've lived the times that God has shown up and been faithful, mm-hmm. and we can recall He's already told us how the story is going to end. Exactly. When you walk in courage, you know this idea of just do it scared, showing up again and again to your life with courage, you're able to grow in confidence, confidence in yourself and the way you engage the world, knowing that you are under God's protection. And then you'll be able to move from the constant demands of what if to the secure reassurance of even if. And that just immediately brings to mind Romans 8.38 that says, you know, nothing can ever separate us from God's love, not death, not life, not angels, not demons, not our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. One of the things too, you know, before we wrap this up that I do want to say is I think so many of us have a much more profound desire for security Mm -hmm. than we are willing to acknowledge to ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of it is because we don't want to acknowledge the fact that we sometimes feel anxious or we sometimes feel scared. And so if I acknowledge that I want security, then it means I have to acknowledge I feel insecure. And that comes with a price tag that a lot of Mm -hmm. us just don't want to do. Years ago, I remember Rich Plass telling me, whatever you disown owns you. Mm -hmm. So if you're listening to this and you're like, I just don't particularly care, Mm -hmm. I just want to encourage you back up and just think about that. And the good news is this. If you're somebody that is willing to say, you know, sometimes I deal with some anxiety, you're actually doing the brave and courageous work because Mm -hmm. you are not letting it own you by acknowledging that. Those are our notes on the desire to be secure, but we want to hear from somebody who actually identifies this desire as a driving force in their personality. So today, we have singer-songwriter Jill Phillips with us. Jill Phillips is a Nashville-based singer-songwriter and licensed marriage and family therapist. She began her career as an artist on Word Records in 1999 and has continued to travel and put out new music since then. She enjoys the overlap of her two creative and caregiving professions. Jill also completed a three-year Enneagram teaching apprentice program led by Suzanne Stabile. Jill has three children, all the way from teenagers up to their early 20s, and has been married to her husband, Andy, for almost 25 years, and she is a six on the Enneagram. Welcome to the show, Jill. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. We are very excited Mm -hmm. to talk with you. Uh, You know, I shared this with you before we got started, but your music has really held a special place in my family. And uh, so we're just we're very excited to explore another aspect of who you are and just Mm -hmm. talking about your your life story and your journey and who you are as a person. Uh, Wonderful and so grateful. Well, let's start here. So in Enneagram theory, the core desire for the type six is to be secure. Mm -hmm. 
Does that desire, when you think about the desire to be secure, does that resonate with you? And do you have an early memory that really reflects that desire? It definitely resonates with me. I was a really anxious little kid. I don't think people who knew me as a kid would know that. Um, I think I was really precocious in some ways. I was really overachieving. I was um, really good at school and I probably just like presented that I was great. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't think people knew under the surface how probably anxious I was. And when I think back on my childhood now, I think I went through kind of a series of phobias. I have a memory of going to a neighbor's house at like three or four. And um, in some ways, this was like a little bit of a loss of innocence in a way. I Um, it sounds silly when I tell you the story, but it felt big when I was that age, I was eating lunch at my friend's house. And I remember the mom fixed me like a big sandwich and a bunch of pretzels. And I was kind of a tiny kid and I couldn't eat the whole thing. And I remember the mom yelling at me that I couldn't eat all my lunch. And she was just like, we don't do that in this house. We finish our food. And like, I had never experienced anything like that before. And I think maybe some kids would have found that hard and difficult and might've gone home and told their mom and whatever. But I like really internalized that. And my mom remembers me taking my lunch with me everywhere I went for like years after that, maybe a year after that. Mm. And so I think I was really sensitive and then I I would internalize things. And so it might move from like, oh, I need to take my lunch somewhere to like, I remember fixating about getting my ears pierced and I was so, so scared. So, so scared. I was like, I want to get my ears pierced, but it's going to be so scary. And, um, so it just kind of morphed into these different things. Um, I think throughout my childhood. And I think one of the other things I've been processing in recent years is how much shame was linked with fear for me. Mm -hmm. You know, you hear fear, 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 and anxiety and anxiety and anxiety with sixes, which I think is true to some extent, but also, I think it's given some people a free pass that anxiety is the realm of the sixes and it's sure not. I mean, Mm-mm. you know, anxiety is, I see it in a lot of different people, but I think for me, as, as I've been just doing a lot of internal work over the years, I realized how much shame got linked with fear. There was so much shame at being fearful. And so they're so intertwined. And I remember when I was, you know, training with Suzanne Stabile, she would say, Sixes think everything is their fault. (laughs) They think everything in the family that goes wrong is their fault. They sort of internalize all of that. And I think I've just had a lot more compassion for myself, not only seeing myself as afraid, but really ashamed that I was afraid. And Mm. um, it's been really freeing to kind of give myself a lot of compassion around what that must have been like as a kid and how lonely that must have felt. It is so fascinating, like how often, you know, we feel a particular emotion that we don't want to feel. And then when we try to acknowledge it or engage it, we have a second, you know, negative emotion. So I feel shame over the fact that I feel shame. I feel shame over the fact that I feel afraid. Or then we just, we struggle to engage it because I don't want to feel any of those things. And so we just end up, you know, really just stuck. Yeah. Well, listen, stay with us because when we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Jill Phillips. We'll be right back.
Here at LTN, we're all about helping people build better relationships. And we've actually created a brand new way to do that with our Say More conversation cards. Say More is a deck of 100 questions to kickstart engaging discussions. So there's silly things like, which famous cartoon character are you most like? And there's also serious things like, what has been your hardest goodbye in life? You can use our Say More cards with your family, your friends, on a date, at the office. My family and I have been using them at the dinner table, and I've learned things about my kids that I truly never knew before. To grab your own deck of Say More cards, go to lovethyneighborhood.org and click the store link at the top of the menu. And while you're there, grab a couple more decks. They make great gifts for Christmas or birthdays, and all proceeds go directly to support Love Thy Neighborhood. So, Go to lovethatneighborhood.org and click store and get ready to say more because better relationships are just a question away. Welcome back to the Unicast, Jesse Eubanks. Lindsay Lewis. So we have been talking with singer-songwriter and therapist Jill Phillips. Uh, Jill, let's talk a little bit about this. Do you find it difficult to tell the difference between being safe and being secure? And does that feeling that, you know, you're prepared, you're cautious, often feel the same as you're just being secure? I'm trying to, like, (laughs) examine my heart here. I would imagine that there are times that I probably get the two mixed up. But by and large, I feel like I can really feel that difference in my body. I can feel the difference of what security feels like versus sort of um, safety of just circumstances being right in, in that given moment. And, you know, of course, you learn to feel that by things being out of control and suffering and, and finding something deeper and more grounding, really God in those places where things happen that you can't predict or you suffer and it's nothing you could have ever seen coming, but you are okay. Um, Mm. Somewhere deep down you are, something is untouchable there. Yeah, and you know, you you described it just a little bit. Can, Can you go in a little more in depth into like, what does it feel like when you're resting in security versus when you feel yourself pushing for safety and protocols or what do they say? Hypervigilance. Mm -hmm. Like, um, you know, what are those two differences? How does one feel? How does the other feel? Well, if I'm just thinking about my body, one almost feels like, like when I'm in that anxious place and it's usually when things are really chaotic and I'm trying to control something or I'm, you know, afraid or something like that, it almost feels sizzly in my body. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. it feels like that anxiety gives me an energy, but it is like, it feels like it's unsustainable. So it's almost like there's something buzzing in my body and I can feel it and I'm moving and I'm like, anxiety gives you a lot of energy, but it Mm -hmm. doesn't feel restful. It feels depleting. It feels a little scary. The other feels very grounded and rooted and in some ways detached from the circumstances around me. I often hear from sixes that they're really good in a crisis. So I think it's when I can feel the spinning waves. What is it? Is it Mary O'Malley said that says the world of constant cares? I mean, y'all, we live in a world of constant cares. I live mm-hmm. in Nashville. I'm a therapist. The past two weeks have mm-hmm. been horrible after mm-hmm. the shooting. If I want to pick up anxiety, it is there all the time waiting for me. 
But when I feel grounded in something deeper, it's when I can live in that world of constant cares and feel rooted and feel grounded and not feel like I'm just like swaying so far back and forth. I might be swaying some, but I'm kind of firmly planted. And those feel Mm. really different. Yeah. Mm. I can feel that, just that, Mm -hmm. you know, the static electricity versus grounded. Mm -hmm. It's really good. So one of the things that as you have gone through a journey of life of paying attention to your desires and your longings and the things that really matter to you, one of the things that you have said has become really obvious and overt and important to you is just a a care for the common good, which I'm going to imagine at some level is you want to give security to everybody. It's like you want that for yourself, but you also want to give that to everybody. Yes. Why does a care for the common good, why does that compel you? What do you find beautiful about that? What's captivating about that mm-hmm. to you? Well, I I mean, again, I don't think six have the corner on this by any means. I think a lot of people have care for the common good. But I think a lot of times sixes are defined by their anxiety or maybe by their wishy-washiness or maybe their rigidity. I don't know. And when I first heard this phrase to describe sixes, I thought that feels true. And it was a beautiful thing that I find in a lot of the sixes that I sit with and know it's really hard for me to think about a decision and only think about it, how it's going to affect just me. Now, again, I can grow in that way, right? There's times that I need to think about just myself. You know, I'm sitting with clients and we're talking about the second commandment. It's like, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Everybody finds one of those halves harder. (laughs) Mm -hmm, Some people need to hear more about loving their neighbor. Some people need to hear more about as you love yourself. So I recognize that um, that's where I need to lean is a little more into myself. But um, that care for the common good, I... You know, I live in a city that is filled with um, amazing people, but many of them, people who came here to forge their own way, right? Or be successful or be different or um, do their own thing. And there's a lot of that energy in this town. And again, I don't have any problems with it, but I have found that it has been a joy to be an artist and be a six to be somebody that doesn't struggle as much with like, is everyone looking at me? Am I really famous? Am I really popular? (laughs) Am I doing the new cool thing? That's just not really been an issue for me. I get to kind of focus on how's our community doing? How are we connecting? Um, Who are the people I can lift up? Who are the young women artists that I want to sing with me on things or bring to the Ryman show? Or where do I want to send my kids to school that is going to best affect our neighborhood, not just them. Again, it's important that it, that it affects them too, but, and that they feel safe and happy and all those things. But how can I plug in and help other people's kids, not just my own? So those are just some of the ways it shows up, you know, being involved in a church community and being able to just like plant in this place and love these people over a long period of time. These are things that I have really grown to love and appreciate about myself and being a six. Mm. It makes me think of, um, I I heard years ago, Tim Keller said, um, the book of Proverbs can be summarized as 
The wicked are those who personally benefit at the expense of the community, and the righteous are those who are willing to make sacrifices for the benefit of the community. Wow. And and it makes me think so much of what you're describing here, which is if I'm going to win, but it's going to come at everybody else's expense, there's mm-hmm. an evil in that. Yeah. And if there's a way for me to believe I've been given enough and I can sacrifice for everyone else's sake— there's something that's just bigger and beautiful about that. It also makes me think, too, about I always say that um, sixes are covenant people. Like uh, mm-hmm. they just represent the covenant of God, like this this sense of permanence, the sense of deep dedication, the sense of, listen, I'm, I'm making an oath here and I'm going to mm-hmm. make huge sacrifices for the sake of others because yeah. I love people. And so many of us like we we do, we say like, you know, we get into an argument or something and we're like, I'm out. Like, I, mm-hmm. I said my piece and now I'm gone. Yep. And sixes are so wonderful because you guys, you say the thing, the hard thing, and mm-hmm. then you stick it out. Like, and I think that there's something that, like, it's coming back to this this picture of the common good. Like, how can we all experience, you know, a little bit of this shalom, you know, that, that God desires for us? I do love that about us. And if there are any sixes listening, I love that about you. Um, <laughs> I really do. I mean, I certainly we can get all clampy as my kids call it and like, you know, circle the wagons when we're scared and all of that. But I think in our best Mm -hmm. selves, we really do um, want other people to flourish. We want everyone to, I I want everyone to have a seat at the table. I want the marginalized to be lifted up. And, you know, sixes usually don't feel like they need to be above others. They just want to feel like they have a voice and have, have a seat at the table. But I'm grateful for that gift in a town that really the temptation to be just big stuff is kind of all around. I think being a six has really helped guard against that. Mm-hmm. Let me say this, though. I, I think it's worth recognizing, though, Jill, like there is the temptation, I think, for some sixes to get so seized up by the fear that they can't see the vision yep. beyond that because it really does become, in a, at an embodied level, it becomes sort of a survival. It's like I'm surviving on a day. And some people are. like, And, and I'm not... I don't want to say anything against folks that are like literally trying to make it day to day. That's not what I'm. Yeah. But but there are other folks that there are so many perceived threats in the world that they can't even seem to access a vision beyond the fear. Yes. And so much of what you're talking about does require a, a degree of relational security, a degree of trust, a degree of courage. Yeah. Um, what kind of encouragement would you give to sixes that do just sort of feel seized up? by the fear. Mm-hmm. They're trying. They're yep. trying to find the thing beyond yep. the fear, but they just can't find it. Gosh, it's such a good question. And you're right. It is the total shadow side of that, isn't it? Um, you know, and our virtue is courage. And then we've got this anxiety on the other end. It's like we're kind of living in, in between these two places. I wish I could really condense what it what it was like for me. Some of it is aging. You know, some of it's just getting older and just caring less and less about what people think and feeling more solid in myself and more grounded and less fearful. And some of it is just the the accumulation of those events over time where God proves himself trustworthy again and again and again, right? The circumstances are spiraling. It's not like things were safe and good all the time, but seeing God show up again and again and again increases my faith. I would say I'm a person of today, a lot of faith. Mm. And I think that is born somewhat out of having to show up scared again and again and again and see God prove himself faithful. So I think sixes underestimate themselves. Maybe one practical encouragement 
is to have people be your truth tellers and tell you what they see about you or see in you that you can't see for yourself. I am typically surprised by what people tell me. I believe it a little more now than I used to, but when people say, oh, I see leadership gifts in you, or oh, yeah, of course you can start your own business, or you're enterprising, or all these things, part of me is like, really? I am? So I think sometimes we don't see ourselves really accurately, and we need to be named by the people who love us and call that out of us and see the things that they see in us, because sixes will tend to underestimate themselves, see themselves as limited and lacking and that sort of thing. So I think we need our, our village. Mm-hmm. Uh, I fully agree with that. I was like pondering that. I was like sitting here and thinking about, <laughs> well, I was thinking about like, you know, the six sort of, um, there can be the negative side, right? Like where the six, uh, some sixes have the tendency, like they need to get outside counsel on like every yes. decision, you yep. know, cause they don't trust themselves. Yep. So there can be like a, there can be an extreme in it, but there is also so much good. Like I just think about my wife and I even think about like basically most of my closest friends are sixes. And I just think about when I offer them words of affirmation or words of encouragement, they do, they have this sense of like, they're shocked. Yes. It's like, what? I didn't know that was possible. And I'm like, what reality are you living? Like we all see this is true. Like this is all true. But, but, you know, perception is reality. And so, so for us to be able to to give words of affirmation, words of encouragement, like it's wind in the sails, you know, for so many sixes. And that feels different to me than, you know, needing to go to everybody to validate every decision. It's really more speaking, which, you know, been there, done that, goodness. But um, (laughs) it it really more is calling out who they are and naming them. Because I I do think for sixes, they really tend to see themselves as, as limited and lacking. As much work as I've done, I mean, I sit with other people. It is still shocking for me sometimes to hear how people experience me or how they see me, that is very hard for me to um, see myself. Mm -hmm. So one thing that we're really focusing on, you know, as we talk about desire is we want it to be grounded in something you mentioned already, which is loving God, loving others as we love ourselves. Mm -hmm. How would you say that, you know, this chief desire reshapes your desire to be secure? You know, I think... It is the security, right? That's mm-hmm. what it is. And so when, when it says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I really believe that and experience that. And if I am rooted in him and his love for me and my belovedness, dreaming, des- having desires, and for is coming from that rooted place. And so they're less likely to get distorted. Or when they do, you come back to the vine and let him sort it all out for you. Um, mm. I think it's the dreaming and the, the desires apart from him where we really get so messed up. So, yeah. I mean, beginning in spiritual direction for me was really important. I've, I've been a believer all my life. My faith has always been very important to me. I, don't, I say that with no arrogance because I know that for uh, some people, faith is very, very hard. And I have a lot of compassion for that. It really has just been gift. Um, Mm -hmm. and I know there'll be seasons when it doesn't feel like that and that's okay too. But, um, when I started in spiritual direction, when my son, uh, my youngest went to kindergarten, I didn't even know what I was doing. Um, I felt pretty ambivalent about God in that season. I saw him, you know, when they had us picture him, he was always sort of in the corner of the room looking at me with fondness, but almost with a clipboard, you know, (laughs) kind of (laughs) analyzing me in his head like I am. Mm -hmm. And, um, 
it took years and lots of suffering in that time as well and hard things to experience him as present and attuned and with me and for me. And so that's that rootedness is at the core of everything that I do or dream or desire. I don't think I could be a therapist without that right now. I don't think I could sit with people in their hard things. I would be a much worse parent if I didn't have to keep coming back to that um, over and over again. Yeah. Well, this has been great. So I am married to a six wing seven. I know how fun you all can be during games. So we. Oh, no, I'm afraid. (laughs) (laughs) Well, stay with us because when we come back, we will be playing You've Got Problems with Jill Phillips. We'll be right back. Here at LTN, we believe that in order to be loved, you must be known. And part of being known means understanding who you are, which is why we created Mapping Your Enneagram Story. Mapping Your Enneagram Story is a workbook to help you map your life story and understand who you are. Using the lens of the Enneagram, you'll explore how the story you've lived has made you into who you are and why Jesus is the key to living a better story. To get your own copy of Mapping Your Enneagram Story, just go to lovethatneighborhood.org and click the store link at the top of the menu. There, you'll find Mapping Your Enneagram Story, plus all our other Enneagram content. And all proceeds go directly to support Love Thy Neighborhood. So go to lovethyneighborhood.org and click store. Mapping Your Enneagram Story. Find the clarity you need to have meaningful, long-lasting relationships. Welcome back to the IndieCast, Jesse Eubanks. Lindsay Lewis. And now it's time for You've Got Problems. You've Got Problems is based off a real game by Jack Dyer. You can find it on Amazon or by going to jackdyer.com. Okay, Jill, here is how you play. For each round, Lindsay and I are going to each present you with two perk cards. These cards have wonderful, useful, awesome things on them, and you're going to choose which perks you would like to have in real life. However, before you choose, Lindsay and I are going to sabotage each other's perks with a problem. So whichever perks you choose, you will also have a problem that comes with them. After we sabotage, you have to choose which set of perks and problem you would go for in real life. Whoever set of perks you choose gets a point. We're going to do three rounds. Best of three wins. Are you both ready? Yes. Yes. Okay. Ladies first. Okay. Here are my two perks. You never have to run errands again. And you're always the funniest person in the room. Oh, my gosh. Those are so good. Mm-hmm. I want those perks. I didn't even look in advance this time, Jesse. I just oh drew them. Oh, my gosh. Okay, well, <laughs> let's let's see what I got here. Okay, the perks I am offering you, which are better than those lame ones, uh, are every restaurant has a table reserved for you. Every restaurant. And you can re-experience your favorite moments. Mm. I think mine are better. Okay. Okay, now. Okay, in addition to your table at the restaurant and reliving your memories, Mm -hmm. you will also be living the rest of your life inside a compact car. 
Okay. Sound good at all. <laughs> so you can okay. go to any restaurant, but then you're going to live in your car. Like well, not, a, not like a car life, like your life, your whole life. Your, your whole life. Okay. Oh, gosh. That is not good. Okay, well, what were your perks again? Uh, Never running errands again and the funniest person in the room. Okay, yeah, that's fine. Except <laughs> every night you have the most terrifying nightmare <laughs> anyone has ever had. <laughs> that's why you're so funny. Oh man. <laughs> oh, man, you guys. This is hard because that's I terrible. think, um, Jesse, I would have picked your perks mm-hmm. just because I'm weird and like running errands. Mm-hmm. But to be in a compact car my whole life sounds really, really horrendous. So I think I'm going to have to go with Lindsay. Yes. Well, welcome to a life of nightmares, Jill. <laughs> Again, oh, not that unusual for me. So it's not <laughs> <laughs> uh, Okay, I'll, I'll go first this time. Round one goes to Lindsay. Okay, round two. Okay, here are the perks I'm offering you. You can eat as much of anything you want with no ill effects, mm. anything, no side effects, and you heal 100 times faster than normal. That is pretty good. Could you imagine getting COVID and you're like, like fine boom. in like two hours? That sounds awesome. awesome. Yeah, that does sound awesome. All right, so mine are, you never have to refuel your vehicle ever again, and you can pull any object from your pocket as needed. Oh, that's very like a Hermione uh, yeah, scenario there. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's fine. But if you t- if you take those perks uh, every t- <laughs> every Tuesday, you have to eat a bowl of teeth. Oh wow! Oh, sick. Okay. <laughs> Who thought of that? Uh, um, you can just grind them up and put them in your smoothie. Oh my it's gosh! It's like collagen. Uh, oh my gosh. Okay. So yeah, so you eat as much as anything you want with no side effects and heal 100 times faster than normal, but... But if you, all that healing still, every time you make eye contact with someone, they will automatically karate chop you in the throat. <laughs> oh man. Well, that's easy. I've got to do the teeth because that would make my job misery. Oh um, my gosh. Yeah. Also, I will say... She's choosing mine? Yeah, I'm saying Lindsay because... Also, I'm self-pres, and I like the idea of having just things to pull out of my purse Anything at all Anything in your pocket. Yes, That's sort of how I live anyway, too. so that would be great. Joe Same. Phillips is eating teeth every Tuesday, y'all. <laughs> She's going to grind them up and put them in her smoothie. <laughs> uh, all right, round three. Okay, round three. You can conjure any food of your choice. That's pretty amazing. And no gross bugs will come within 100 feet of you. Okay. Oh, yeah. My kids would love that one. Okay. So here are mine. You can see through other people's eyes. She already does that. But she could do it even, like, better. Like, better. (laughs) She'd be, like, the greatest therapist ever. She's like, my kids are in college. I'm just going to close my eyes and see where they're at. Um, And you have permission to enter any building. Mm Mm-hmm. Just imagine you got to you got to think on that for just a moment. Yeah. Think about any building. She could just walk into it, like she owns the joint. That's kind of awesome. Mm, I don't know. I'm more of a food person. Building <laughs> b- travel doesn't do it for you. Conjure any food of uh, your choice. So if you do Lindsay's, um, which are, which are what? Conjure any food of your choice and no gross bugs. Except uh, your head is six inches tall. <laughs> what? So there's that. Oh, How tall is your normal head? I don't know. It ain't six inches. I think it is about six inches. 
well, this card's a bust if that's <laughs> yeah, true. I'm like, what? How? I'm like, wait, how, how big is my head? <laughs> my head is like really six inches. Now, now I want to measure everybody's heads. I got to figure out what's going yeah, on there. I need there. a ruler. Maybe it means around. Yeah, maybe. Not like up and down. Yeah. Okay. Well, yours was walking into any building. And uh, oh, seeing through other people's eyes. Yeah. But also every person who sees you will spit on you. Holy smokes. Oh, man. Jesse, I'm so All sorry. The- these parts, you've not had a chance. I mean, with these Seriously, problems. Here's the yes. deal. Here's the deal. Lindsay yes. keeps the games in her office. She probably looks true. through the cards. No. Oh, my I gosh. Just pull- no, hands down, out. keep my head the size that it probably is. And have come on. Yeah. yeah, no no spitting at me. I would just well, cry all day. Uh, well, congratulations, Lindsay, on your victory. J- Jill, enjoy eating teeth. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, and now it's time for 11 quick questions. So we're going to ask you 11 questions. You can answer with one word, one phrase, or one sentence. Okay. Uh, all right, Lindsay, kick us off. Number one. Where is a place you feel relaxed? The Outer Banks of North Carolina. Mm. What is a food that you hate? Um, goat cheese. Oh, man. I no know. I, I know. It's so name. unpopular to say that, but it's true. <laughs> what stirs up joy? Being with my people. What stirs up sadness? Sitting with people and their grief and trauma. What is the last book you read and enjoyed? I'm a big reader. Uh, I read uh, Bono's Surrender. Mm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What is the last book you read and didn't enjoy? I think it was called The Prisoner. I brought it on Christmas tour on the bus because I was like, I just sorry, this is a long answer. It's it's a horrible book about a woman who is like kidnapped and then kind of falls in love with the person who kidnapped her. Oh, it's just I had to not read it. I thought it would be a escapist mystery, but no. I can see the therapist in you being like, trauma bond, no. This is a bad book. Walk away. (laughs) Okay, if you could own an unusual pet, what would it be? Maybe like a little sheep. Aw. What is your coffee shop order? Tea. (laughs) What is a personal vice that you would like to get rid of? Overcommitting to things. Uh, What's the one thing that you would convince the world of if you could? The world would be a better place if we all looked out for each other. Mm. And what is one current desire that you have? Traveling even more. Mm. Well, this has been wonderful. Jill, thank you so much for your time today, for letting us in. It's going to be such a gift to so many people. Mm -hmm. We have just really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you, guys. You're great interviewers and great questions. If you've benefited at all, from this podcast, please help us out by leaving a review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Your review will help other people discover our show. Special thanks to our guest today, Jill Phillips. Listen, check out her latest EP, Deeper Into Love. You can listen to it on Apple Music or Spotify. You can learn more about Jill's music by heading to jillphillips.com 
or follow her on social media at I am Jill Phillips. Also, special thanks to Crosspoint Ministry, who helped train us in the Enneagram and about desire. You can check them out at crosspointministry.com. This show is brought to you by Love Thy Neighborhood. If you want a hands-on experience of missions in our modern times, come serve with Love Thy Neighborhood. We offer summer and year-long missions internships for young adults ages 18 to 30. Bring social change with the gospel by working with an innovative nonprofit and serving your urban neighbors. Experience community like never before as you live and do ministry with other Christian young adults. Grow in your faith by walking in the life and lifestyle of Jesus and being a part of a vibrant, healthy church. Apply now at lovethyneighborhood.org. This episode was written by Lindsay Lewis and myself. Anna Tran is our media director and producer. Music for today's episode comes from Lee Rosevere and Murphy DX. I'm Lindsay Lewis. And I'm Jesse Eubanks. Remember, the eye can see everything but itself. Find people to journey with you because you were created for community.